You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Today, my guest, can't believe it's the first time this season I've had him on. Uh, probably all of your favorites, Raptors Republic's own Samson Folk. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, just kicking back, ready to talk about the NBA at large and how the mm-hmm. Raptors fit into it as well with you. And uh, all the other uh, curiosities you have for me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited wow. to, to talk shop, chop it up, as it were. Yeah, you know, because you're always, you know, deep diving into the Raptors, as you should. But uh, this is an opportunity for you to sound off on everything else in the league that has uh, sparked your curiosity, your wonder, your whimsy, perhaps. Yeah. Right? We, I also know you're in comedy as well. And I think it is a very universal feeling for people who don't do comedy to think that they can do comedy. And while I have the (laughs) self-awareness to kind of pen myself in and say, don't go all the way. I also think I'm kind of a funny guy. So anytime I'm around comedians, I'm like checking. I'm like, is that funny? Am I doing good? Yeah. And you know, so you'll be the arbiter of, of how funny I am. So this gives me a chance to do humor as well. I feel like I almost want to hold back my laughter. So you think you're bombing. <laughs> That'll be good. You know, it's like the, the carrot and the stick. No, I wouldn't troll you like that. That's cool. No, I think, but you know what? You, you mentioned to me that you're curious about comedy, that you want to pursue comedy on some level. Is that true? I think uh, uh, I wouldn't pursue it uh, in a meaningful capacity. I would like to pursue it to see how I exist within it. That's how I I feel about basketball. I'm not pursuing this in a meaningful capacity. (laughs) But it's become meaningful, you know? This is is the cool thing about podcasting is that, especially once you get to a place where it's consistent and you have a listener base like you do, is that there are people who listen to you every time an episode comes out. They're familiar with you. They like the way that you process things. And so it is meaningful, at least in some capacity. Some podcasts, it's the biggest capacity you could uh, provide, you know, truly untold levels of misinformation and disinformation. You can harm the world at large. Wow. But if you have a you have a small podcast, you can just be meaningful to a, a small group of people who like what you have to say. You know? Well, I, I appreciate that. And I do think that uh, this is the NBA and anything I say inaccurately could easily be debunked. Uh, <laughs> this is not enough of a niche that I could ever uh, yield that kind of power. But, you know, I appreciate the optimism uh on your part also samson like i think if you wanted to pursue comedy on some level and this would go for anybody listening that's thinking about pursuing comedy is like you could take classes at second city there's a new second city in toronto actually uh no one's paying me to say that uh and they have amazing courses there that i would definitely recommend to anyone who is curious about uh comedy both i believe they have improv and stand-up classes do you have the affiliate code for so people can click through and you get your. No, I should ask them for that, though. I should ask or, them for a discount code. Or at least tell them to enroll in the class you teach. One of the I don't teach a class. Uh, I actually during the pandemic, I taught classes for um, comedy writing, dialogue and satire. That's how I got through the pandemic was I did teach for a bit. Is any of it analogous to approaching an NBA offensive or defensive possession? No. Okay. But uh, if things really go downhill for the Raptors, we can write some good uh, satire, Beaverton, Onion-style satire about it. Yes. I, I kind of do that sometimes, actually. I do a lot of... You don't curse on here, do you? You can. I do a lot of shit posting uh, about the Raptors and the NBA at large. <laughs> I think... And uh, the people who follow me are kind of, I guess, on Twitter, well enough aware of... Uh, hmm, what would the term be? I guess, uh, uh, no, I'll skip that term. I, I, I should post, as it were. And so <laughs> people seem to enjoy that sometimes. And that's a form of comedy. 
a very low form of comedy. It's a Not form of comedy. To- Being petty on Twitter, I maybe is technically a form of comedy, but to what degree? I don't That's know. Right. You don't want um, to go too far. <laughs> Okay, so let's jump into this. Uh, So this week, uh, the NBA referees got a call wrong uh, during a Lakers-Celtics game. NBA rivalry week, which didn't really do it for me, but I think it did for a lot of other people. Uh, That's cute to keep midseason interesting. Uh, Yeah, uh, Jason Tatum hit uh, LeBron James on the arm as he was making a potential game-winning layup. Uh, the game then went into overtime and they lost the game. And then the referees uh, then went on to release what I would refer to as a soliloquy uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Talk to us about their sleepless nights over getting this call wrong. Samson, what did you think of that when it happened? I thought that it was the wrong call. I also have the the benefit of being able to watch the replay or you know, not be a referee in live time. So I know there are people who are much better referees than I am. When I was 16, I started refereeing like junior boys and girls basketball games. I I grew up in a very small town. One of the only ways to make money, I also worked at the gas station. There's like three. There's no way that was the only way to make money in your small town. And I'm not buying. (laughs) there, There was like three businesses in the town. And like, there's however many kids from, legal working age to you've left and then there's like the the vagabond people who come through and work every once in a while wow i worked at the gas station but i also for a time refereed basketball games even at that speed and we're talking slow speed these kids not only are they young they're bad at basketball sorry to all the kids at, at that time probably won't <laughs> listen to this. they're bad at basketball i found basketball so difficult to referee i almost couldn't comprehend it i did not referee for very long And I played a good level of basketball. I understood the game, all this kind of stuff. But as soon as I was trying to officiate it, I thought, damn, this is difficult. I also, I remember looking at a, I guess, what was it like a a survey or not a survey, a study that came out that found that when referees blow the whistle in the NBA over like thousands and thousands of calls reviewed, I think they're right 96% of the time. And it's harder to kind of dig down on what they don't call you can only do that via the last two-minute report. They did miss the call. I thought it was funny that because it was LeBron, they had a more swift apology and were like, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you talked about their sleepless nights. But for the most part, I think refs do a good job. I People who listen to my podcast, I use the term ref talk all the time. I think it's the easiest thing to talk about for people because you can just focus in on it, make it a refer- referendum there. But uh, I don't typically engage in ref talk because I'm like, ah, everybody talks about refs. I'll be the guy who doesn't because, yeah, we, we all know when a call is right or wrong. It's just what do we think about the referees who are calling it and how difficult their job is, I suppose. Yeah. More I earnest mean, than funny. My apologies. You don't have to be funny all the time. Look, I think like, honestly, if I had to do that much running, there's no way I'd be able to focus on anything. <laughs> an actual NBA call you know what I mean like by the end of the game you're probably just you're a human you're tired like how do they even keep up like they don't have anyone subbing in those laps (laughs) damn right there's a reason they wear numbers they yeah I have a good question how many referees do you think I'm just kidding what was that Kennedy Bill Candy pretty handsome guy would (laughs) if you're gonna bring up the our refs hot conversation no i'm not actually ready for that in oh capacity. bill I was kennedy just he's bill kennedy joke. he's the he's the mustache he's got the massive shoulders he's pretty yes. buff yeah and he's the one who nba twitter always thinks is really funny he's great um if we're talking about attractive referees good good looking referees uh but uh i wonder if outside of just being like a funny guy he has fans that are like i love the way he sees and calls the game because it feels like if you're a referee every you're just signing up for everybody to hate you I wonder what process they go through in therapy, you know, to kind of sort through everything. Well, therapy should come with the job, first and foremost. I mean, it it just should. (laughs) Ours as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I equally deserve therapy as much as an MBA ref. No, but I think, (laughs) look, I think it's a really hard 
I mean, we all know it's a really hard job. I don't even have to say I think it is. We know it is. I do think the uh, this might be controversial, but I do think the referee's sex chant is overused. I do, I do like the chant, but I feel right. like you want to pick and choose your spots. You know what I mean? You can't just do it every time there's a call you don't like. You know what I mean? Like you you want it to be for like very egregious moments like this one. Where like they actually get it wrong, you know what I mean? I, I hate when I hate when it when people lean into it too quickly. So this this is kind of like uh, I guess it's fossil fuels, right? Is that you can't you can't do you can't police something at the level of the singular person because not everybody's gonna sit on their hands all at once, you know? You tell everybody that it's like, hey, you know, your carbon footprint is this you tell them hey your carbon footprint relative to the refuse suck chant this is how you impact it you have to be able to delineate you know what is worth the refuse suck what is not worth it yeah and they they don't have hive minds so they can't all collectively decide somebody's gonna start it the ball's gonna start rolling and other people you know it's gonna start they're gonna be like oh i gotta get in on this you know so okay you know when you're like on the ttc and uh maybe there's like a delay and have you ever been on like the subway and, and they 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 go out of their way to explain that the delay isn't their fault because That's they awesome. want you to have uh some empathy for the ttc workers themselves that is what the soliloquy reminded me of it's like refs are at this point where they need you to know that they're human that they make mistakes that they're not perfect it's like it, it does feel like a bit of a turn of the page if you will it feels like a, in a weird way it's a new era well this is something that i think will be talked about the more and more that social media rolls forward i suppose especially since social media follows everybody everywhere but it's like uh refs in some cases during some games get the same amount of, of vitriol that the NBA players do and they don't get paid that much. Right. They, they don't, it's, it's a job that is both thankless pays handsomely to some extent, but not as handsome as you would expect for somebody who will be, I guess, getting public vitriol, like kind of like pointed at them all the time. <laughs> and, you know, in the social media age, I think we'll continue to have conversations like that about like, People who are visible, who work in the, you know, in the public sphere, it's like, what, how much access should people have to you to critique you? What is fair? And should we be relating it to like your salary? What, what makes it inhuman? What makes it humanized? All this kind of stuff. And I guess they tried to like strike the balance to be like, please, we're humans. And I don't think twitter is the correct medium because people are not going to listen to that <laughs> it's not the correct medium for any of this i think yeah. if i were if i were a ref i'd want to get paid in steps hmm. i want to get paid in my steps i can count my steps on my fitbit and i want each step to be worth like i don't know dollars <laughs> they run so much they wonder, run so much i wonder how many steps they take in a game that's a great question do you ever get to interview them no, I've never. But you could. A ref. Would I, you? I'd interview a ref. Sure. Actually, oh, you know, keep that Monty, in your back pocket. Monty McCutcheon, he made media wait an extra two hours at a practice earlier this season because Whoa. he was giving he was giving the Raptors the updates on all the all the NBA rules and stuff like that, and so it meant that we got to practice at eleven. The Raptors were supposed to practice, and I think they did. But then they did this. I'm holding a spoon now. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and then they did this. Uh, then they did this presentation from Monty McCutcheon to the Raptors, and they obviously they had questions about the changing rules or the interpretations wow. of rules. We were just sitting around. Everybody looked at me like I had a lack of decorum because I just sat on the ground. But I was sick of standing up. You know, I wanted to sit down, and it was just we were out there on the court at the OVO Center. So we all waited. Most people stood up the whole time. I commend them for that, but they should have sat down like me. Save Damn. your legs. You only get a, one pair of them for your whole life. This you know? took a turn. That's what I'm saying. What's up with this plastic spoon? Well, it's still here because I ate 
uh, pudding here last night. And then I saw it and there's nothing quite like waving something around. You know, you can wield it. I'm wielding a spoon as if to beat you over the head, uh, metaphorically, with the message I'm sending, speaking on, you know. I we'll love put it. it over there. We won't get the spoon again. No, no, no. Maybe we will. Um, let's talk about another weird NBA story that happened this week. Uh, NBA Reddit went viral uh, with a conspiracy theory about Jaron Jackson's juniors uh, stats that basically home games were padding his stats in an effort to give him a defensive player of the year candidacy. And uh, there is a pretty large distinction between his at home and away game stats. Um, hold on. I should really have this in front of me. I have too many tabs. That's my problem right now, but essentially um the NBA has now debunked this. A lot of people have gone through the stats and they say there was only three blocks total that were uh, mistakes. And that's not consequential enough for that to be proof of any sort of like conspiracy or padding of stats. Uh, you're a stats guy, Samson. Um, sure. What did you think when you saw this? Um, actually, prior to seeing this, I was aware of the Raptors well, the Raptors, the NBA at large, how they kind of review stats and what the process is. And I knew when I looked at this that you basically, to record a stat at the NBA level, it has to go through like five or six people and like everything gets reviewed. And so I thought, I'm sure there's some mistakes here. Like there could be. Sometimes when a ball goes up near the rim, and there's like two different guys contesting it. A hand gets on the ball and maybe a shot misses. Sometimes that's considered a block. Sometimes it's considered like the hand was on the ball, but then the player cleared that space and eventually just ended up missing the shot afterwards. It's That type of thing is open to interpretation. But even in that scenario, it's still a player making a play on the ball, still affecting a shot. So it's not of the biggest consequence. If you audited other players' blocks and steals, like – people did for Jaron Jackson juniors, you would find mistakes. And so I just thought like uh, somebody discovered like the home away discrepancy and thought it was really, really interesting and then exaggerated at every single point to make their case more. Compelling. Yeah. Let me just uh, interject to, cause I finally found the numbers. So at home uh, he had 66 blocks and 22 steals in 16 games. And on the road, he had 37 blocks and 12 steals over 17 games. So it's about half. Mm -hmm. Some, and some teams play better defense at home as well. Right. And sometimes. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but most, more than anything, like the, there's some uh, review process. Well, there's a significant review process, but the big thing is that the the interpretation is of assists or blocks, I guess, is open to some things. Sometimes a steal will go to a player who initiated the process of what made a player throw the ball away, and sometimes the steal will go to the player who who picked up the ball. That kind of stuff, sure, whatever, but I, I don't think it equates to um, – the total like discrepancy in numbers. I think that Jaron Jackson Jr. just had a lot of really great home games and big, big numbers. I mean, we we as Raptors fans or people who cover the Raptors, we saw Christian Coloco, what he had a seven block game against Chicago. Sometimes those games come quickly, sometimes they come, and it's it's just mostly about how the other team plays. And if you're funneling the ball to a rim protector like Jaron Jackson Jr. or something like that. And um it, it could be the types of teams that they were playing at that point in time. I haven't audited it myself, but just <laughs> knowing the review process, I was like, oh, this is probably a nothing burger, as it were. Do you try to find like I feel like this was a fan that was like, I want to be the person that discovers something crazy. You know, it's almost like uh, I don't want to use the word the term like gotcha but it feels like that right like i feel like even in your reporting like do you are, are you trying to find things are you trying to read between lines i mean yeah sometimes although i i don't make it the the feature of what i do it's it's kind of why i i think that for the, those simple statistics they're very good at capturing them for something you know people might be aware of my the pieces I do where I, as you said, deep dive, where it's like 
you know, I did that film review with Christian Coloco earlier this year, and I watched every single pick and roll defensive possession that he played. Um, the year before, I watched every possession that Scotty Barnes played, and I cataloged it as far as I understood it. My understanding of certain play types differentiated from what the NBA dictated a play type. Like they had a really tough time delineating between what was an isolation and what was a post up because Scotty Barnes engages in what's called the bully drive, which is a mix of the two. I decided to catalog those as isolations, whereas they were more likely to catalog those as post ups. I decided to delineate by saying like a post up comes after a post entry pass. Otherwise it's an isolation. Is that super meaningful? No, but it's, it's different and it created different statistical outcomes based on how I calculated it and how they calculated it. There's also the NBA as far as their matchup data, who guarded who on a possession, right? So let's say Scotty Barnes, it says he guarded Jason Tatum on, let's, I don't know, 84 possessions this year or something like that. And you look at it and it says that Jason Tatum has scored nine field goals on 16 attempts over 84 possessions. He might, have, he might not have scored those field goals on Scotty Barnes. The way they track it is whoever guarded a player the longest over that possession. So if Scotty Barnes was sitting there guarding Jason Tatum off ball for six seconds, nothing happened. And then they run an action where they switch, let's say, Fred Van Vliet onto Tatum, and Tatum scores within two seconds. Fred Van Vliet got scored on. But the matchup data is going to indicate that Scotty was the guy who got scored on. So there's tons of little inconsistencies as far as the more in-depth stuff. And I guess you can go find those. But I don't know. The gotchas are never really – it's so it's so condensed. It's so uh, complex that the gotchas, I don't know. If you can get NBA Reddit on your side, sure. But I feel like <laughs> NBA Reddit is not there for that. It should be there for the guy who is like, is it legal for the other four Warriors to – hold hands around Steph Curry to protect him as he just shoots from like 24 feet away, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the theory crafting and that kind of stuff. I feel like that's the best. This is a soliloquy, by the way. So I'll cut it here. This is some nerdy shit right here, Samson. Hey, yeah. But that's what you do. Yeah. Big nerd. The big nerd. I love it. Yeah. Um, okay. This is something significantly less nerdy. Uh, NBA all-star game. Uh, the reserves are being announced tonight. We're recording this on Thursday. The episode will be out Friday. So, you know, uh, we, won't, we won't be able to react necessarily, but the reserves are being announced tonight. Is there anyone you're really hoping to see? Uh, is there anyone you're worried about being snubbed? What are you thinking about ahead to All-Star? I think that Pascal Siakam and James Harden, I really hope both of them make it. I think that Pascal mm -hmm. has a better shot than Harden because the backcourt I would think is a little bit more competitive. Mm -hmm. um, I think a guy like Darius Garland, I would like to see over a guy like Jalen Brown, but I think Jalen Brown will make it over a guy like Darius Garland. I think that there's basically just, I want to see Pascal at the game. He didn't get to go last year, even though he deserved it, which was evidenced by his all NBA selection later on that season or at the end of the season. And he's been sublime this year. He's also, the most overworked player in the NBA I've, I've done. <laughs> if, if anybody pays attention to my, my coverage uh, of Pascal Siakam, be it spoken or written um, there's, this is backed up statistically. It's not just the eye test uh, over the past hundred games, Pascal, nobody's played more minutes than him. Um, he's just about at 39 minutes per game. Miles traveled. He's near the top of the league last season. He was, First in closeouts in the NBA, which, you know, closeouts are the ones where a guy has to sprint across the court and hold his hand up and it takes a lot of energy. He was also first in total isolations, more than Luka Doncic, which is not a lot of help from your teammates. Just go out there and try and get a bucket, even dealing with help side defense, your point of attack defense, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so they do miles travel. They, they track all that kind of Look, stuff. You could argue that Pascal has played so many minutes that he actually deserves a break. Yes, <laughs> yes that's that's why just last game he fouled out with like two and a half minutes to go it was so that he could play under 40 minutes for like he was like no no actually i need a little bit of a break get me off the court we're not winning this game regardless i need a break oh my god that'd be so sad if that's actually what this all of this came to honestly yeah actually since i'm actually on the beat now and not just somebody who talks about it let me say that's not true for anybody <laughs> <who's listening. laughs> 
no i think um yeah i got um blake murphy was on uh will lose show earlier this week and he had some alarming stats about the minutes you want to talk and, about a nerd that's a big nerd blake yeah. well you two have a, a uh, no 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 i'm i'm in our relationship i'm i'm the cool jock he's the nerd he's spreadsheet he's spreadsheet guy <laughs> But I feel like you're just saying that to egg him on, maybe. I only just recently met Blake. And what did you think? Nice guy. Really? From what I can tell. I think he's a bad guy. (laughs) Go on. Let's keep keep this ruse up. Just bad guy, honestly, I think. Okay. Yeah. So him and who else would you like to call out right now? Just Blake. Just Blake? Yeah. Wow. Okay, you mm-hmm. played that well. You played that well. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I agree. I'm really hoping to see Pascal there. I do think there's a world where the coaches could vote him in. I think they very much recognize uh, his talents and abilities and that the Raptors' woes, as we all know, really have little to nothing to do with him this season. He's like the one person that no one's really pointing a finger at out of all the people in this organization. So, you know, we're going to get into... Actually, I mean, this is a pretty good segue to get into Raptors talk. I finished my NBA topics. Samson, it's time for a Raptors Homer moment. Let's get into it. (laughs) Sure. So, you know, last week I referred to it as the vultures just swarming this team uh happening more and more this week you know i'm feeling somewhat exhausted and i can't wait for this trade deadline to actually happen because it'll just in a weird way it'll just be like a relief and and we'll all be able to move forward i mean yeah next week i'm gonna have ashley docking on the show and we're gonna drink wine we're gonna drink wine on the show. It was a special request from Ashley, and we're gonna to react to the trade deadline pretty much immediately after it happens because we'll record it Thursday evening. So please stay tuned for that. But Samson, okay, well, we're gonna get into trade talk, but just like emotionally, where are you at with this team? Can I ask you a question first? Oh gosh, yeah. Have you ever seen a vulture? Uh no, but I did get chased down by a very large, scary bird, which and it was debated if it was a turkey vulture or if it was a raven. When I lived in Mexico, there was for a time, <laughs> two weeks, I think. Flex. Well, lots of when people. You, lived yeah. There. Okay, go on. When you were in Mexico. There was a vulture that would come and land on the balcony and hang out there. And I always wondered if it was, you know, an omen of sorts, that there was a vulture always coming to my house. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was. I won't elaborate, but yeah, it was, it was an omen. Anyway. No, you have to elaborate. That's ridiculous. I ne- Next time on episode two. <laughs> what do you mean next or, or time? You have, to, you have to give them something, you know, you keep them coming back, as it were. You, but I don't believe that you only have one story. Well, that's fine. Anyway, so you had asked me about the... the well, look, it might have been a bad omen, but you're still alive. The vultures are swarming the raptors. Yes, um, and I asked you, how do you emotionally feel about this? Emotionally? So I quite like... I ha- I have a story with, with basically everybody. Does this story have a beginning, middle, and end? Or are you going to leave us on another hook here? I think it's best if you keep it short on a podcast, honestly. <laughs> but OG is uh, is great. I feel like I have the best conversations with him of anybody on the team. I really enjoy um, catching up with OG and asking about basketball, et cetera. Um, I'm a big fan. Fred, I think, is a great guy. I think that he's also a, a seminal figure in Raptors history. Gary Trent Jr. complimented my outfit. You know, yeah. if there was, if it was ever going to happen from somebody who's seen as a good dresser, as somebody who, when I go to games... I dress specifically so people think I'm a good dresser. And Gary Trent told me I was a good dresser? Are you kidding me? That guy (laughs) traded? What if he wants to compliment me again in the future? All those opportunities out the window. Mm -hmm. So on the the selfish emotional side, I'd be sad to see any of them go. As far as um, analyzing the basketball of it all, I think that the roster building aspect, it makes the most sense to move on from the backcourt with these Raptors. The least sense to move on from OG Ananobi, in my opinion. But I'd be sad to see any of them go. I think it's this is my first time 
covering the team in person for a long time in, in season seasons past, I've made trips to Toronto and been able to kind of cover the team just for a short amount of time. But this is the first time I've actually been around the guys day to day and it would be sad to see him go. It's a business and all that, but emotionally sad. That's what it would be. No. I mean, I guess like, you know, there's so much anticipation leading up to this trade deadline. Do you think that the Raptors are going to make a move? I do. Yes. And do you, and who do you think that's going to be with? See, that's, that's tough. So there's, there's a rumor trade with, mm-hmm. with the Knicks. I'm not a big sourced guy or anything like that, but yeah, it's the Knicks. It was around Evan Fournier, uh, the Knicks first round pick and two other protected first round picks. Right. And that was for OG and Anobi. I haven't heard any other, you know, and the, there's other rumored, I guess, proposed trades. That's for, a tank trade. Is it not? Yes. Totally, it is. Yep. If you trade OG, I think it's a tank trade. Yeah, because you're looking at uh, one of the most significant wing players to ever play for the organization, and at twenty set, I guess at twenty seven, he'll be hitting free agency. If that guy leaves before then, or if you don't sign him back in free agency, it's like, you know, this guy you drafted, you're not able to re-sign, who's objectively a super positive player. You're, you're getting worse. So there, there are trades out there that have been rumored that definitely indicate tank for the Raptors. The rumors about trades that improve them uh, have not been as frequent mm-hmm. as the other types of trades, I would say. And I think that mirrors what I perceive to be the truth of the way they're approaching this situation. So you think we're right. absolutely trying to improve this team? We're not trying to tank in any way? No, no, I think they're not trying to improve the team at the deadline. Oh, okay. I think that it would be more likely for the Raptors to trade a player who is better now than the player they're getting in return. And then they also get, I guess, draft capital assets, et cetera, along with that other player who's not as good as, let's say, OG or Fred or Gary is what I would expect. I think what's so weird for me as a fan of this team is we haven't seen Bobby and Masai operate in this position before, right? Like every move in their entire tenure has always been about improving the roster, right? I mean, some exceptions to that in terms of like, you know, moving on from Kyle maybe, but really, but we got precious out of that. So no, I think even then my my argument still stands. This is the first time we're seeing them enter what may be a rebuild. Yeah, I I wondered. So I think Pascal and Fred both had significantly better years last year than the organization wanted them to have or not wanted, expected, I should say. Mm. And I think that the team last year was better than the organization expected as well. As you said, Precious having, I would say, a similar impact to Kyle Lowry as far as how positive he is to a team shortly after being traded for him is quite significant. Probably not something that they expected that early. Scotty Barnes, uh, the fourth overall pick becoming Rookie of the Year, Pascal All-NBA, Fred an All-Star. The team overachieved last season, and it kept them out of a rebuild that I'm sure some people saw coming. They've underachieved significantly this year, and it might force their hand into that that rebuild, I suppose. But um, I think a lot of people prefer the term retool and the, I guess, the actions that go more so towards that, whereas you still, you maintain being able to win in the near future. You don't kind of throw everything out the door and just try and load up on assets, i.e. the Oklahoma City Thunder or something like that. And I understand why people feel that way. And I think I feel the same way as well. I think you would try retooling first before you go into a full rebuild. Because when you have guys who are approximating or getting closer to all-star status on rookie contracts, like Scotty Barnes isn't this year, but may very well be next year, um, you want them to be on winning teams. You don't want them toiling away on teams that lose a bunch. I understand a lot of people want to draft really high-level um, high draft pick players. Um, but the Raptors are going to try and find the middle ground between all of it, I think. But then again, 
I'm not talking to Masai every day, you know, chopping it up, being like, hey, why what, aren't what you? Plan? That might be the better question here. Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't tell you why. He's not returning my calls or my texts. Busy time of the year for the guy, I suppose. Is that legit? No, what? you don't have his number. I don't have Masai's number. No, no. Well, I mean, okay. You said that you think it would make sense to move on, to move on from the backcourt. Um, how do you feel about this team at, uh, attaining a center? Hmm. Precious Achua is extremely impressive. Extremely impressive. I adore his game. I think he's still better than most people who watch him every night think he is. I think he's definitely better than the NBA thinks he is. I still would love to see the Raptors get another front court player. And I don't know if they'll be able to. And I think if they did, that's them trying to improve the team for this season. Because otherwise, I imagine they'd be okay with looking at the center position for this franchise, seeing Precious, seeing Coloco, and saying in 2023-24, we feel pretty good about that being like our center rotation. Coloco puts on weight in the offseason, continues to get better. Precious does as well. I wouldn't be surprised if they ran that position back. They missed their opportunity, perhaps, to bolster that position from, I guess, a position of strength. Because now it seems like if they want a center, they have to trade out a piece of their starting lineup or something of significant value to improve that position. Whereas they maybe should have been looking to do that earlier so that they weren't losing so many games this season. We'll see, though. I, I'm not optimistic about them adding a good center at the trade deadline. So here's here's my feeling, and you're a, a bigger basketball mind than I am, so you can you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I have been extremely frustrated with this team not trying to find a center because in my opinion, you know, we haven't had a legit starting center since like Gasol and Ibaka, right? Mm-hmm. And that's post bubble, and the whole six nine thing has like really confused and baffled me. Because I don't understand, and, I, and I've been saying this on multiple episodes, but I don't understand why the level of versatility that they're looking for has to all be in one height. Yeah, it's, it's not versatile. I think that's like a classic misnomer. And I think they tricked a lot of people. And it's because of the conversation around basketball since the Warriors, because the Warriors were a very versatile defense with Kevin Durant. Like it, it was the, to me, it was the best team of all time the best team ever put together. They were incredible defensively, incredible offensively. And because they were such an outlier offensively, it's the most talented team ever put together. A different type of defense had to be constructed to try and stop them. In Houston, that ended up being a quite switch-heavy style of defense. And so that was the highest level of team, and they were trying to be stopped, and nearly were, if it wasn't for the 27 missed threes in a row for Houston, right? They may very well have beaten those warriors that created for people to think that switch defenses were the highest level of defense. And it meant that you were extra versatile and the Raptors have this defense where they're six, nine everywhere. Well, 11 of the 14 guaranteed roster spots on the team, or maybe it's 10 of 13. Now I guess Joey's camp and Justin Champagne are the same size. So 11 of 14 uh, are over six foot six and shorter than six foot 10, which is absurd, but that's the way they built the team. The most consistent style of defense in the NBA over the course of history, and even this season, is having a big man at the rim to rotate over for when you allow blow-bys and for when players get downhill. The Raptors rotate from farther away to the rim with smaller players. They've allowed more frequency at the rim. They've done a worse job protecting it, than last season and way worse than in seasons past. And I don't think the six, nine vision six, nine thing has really worked. And I think it's because yes, as you said at the top with your basketball mind, that is of the exact same size as mine (laughs) centers are important and the Raptors, whether they ignored it, whether they didn't like how much they would have had to pay via trade or via contract, they haven't gotten one. And it's hurt the team. It's hurt 
OG Ananobi. It's hurt Scotty Barnes. It's hurt Pascal Siakam as they have to guard up every single night. And you can tell these guys get injured. They get tired. Barnes I would also argue that it's hurt Fred too. Oh yeah, certainly. Fred, Fred, poor guy, has been hurt by everything. Yeah, you know, the, he misses having a big body like Gasol set those screens for him. You know, it made his shots more wide open, in my opinion. I mean, I remember there was like a fun interview with them, and Fred said when they play pick or whatever, like Gasol was always his first pick. Like they loved playing together, and I think Fred needs like a large center like that. Yeah, the the screen craft definitely it fell off as well. Chris Boucher and uh, Precious Achua, although Achua has gotten a lot better recently, and so has Scotty Barnes. Um, they aren't the same as having Gasol and Ibaka set screens in the middle of the floor. Those guys were really good at it. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like when I was watching the series last year against Philadelphia, to me, it was just so alarming how much we needed a a center in that series that I was shocked when we didn't do anything about it in the off season. And I still predicted the Raptors would end up being around sixth in the East. I was like, we'll probably be where we were last year based on the fact that we haven't made any significant adjustments. The East did get better, especially with Cleveland, but you know, and then who knew Indiana would be as great as they were, but I still thought, you know, we would be in around sixth in the East. That was like a nice, somewhat optimistic, but realistic pick. And then it's all just gone awry for so many reasons. And, and it's, I I just feel like even in this trade deadline, I still don't, you know, maybe the Yakupertal thing happens, although I don't, in my opinion, think he's worth two first round picks. If that's what they want, that's what I saw rumored. You know what I mean? Like he's not worth that much. And you're right. Like, I think um, we missed our opportunity to um, make a trade like that from a position of power. And so I don't even know where we're going to get a a legitimate starting center in the NBA. Now, maybe we have to wait for the draft. I don't know. See, this is the tough part is that the Raptors are in a position of power to trade in the rebuild or retool way, right? They're not in a position of power to add talent to this core because this core, quite frankly, is whether I wouldn't, I wouldn't hammer down on any one player. I know everybody loves a punching bag. Most often this season, it's been Fred. But I think even though there's been different levels of performances, I think it's clear that this core just isn't good enough to build around. And whether or not you think that's because of how they're coached or because of the roster building around them, or whether it's just these guys don't fit together perfectly, they're they would be better if they were swapped out and there's another player who came in with more complementary skills. Whatever it is, you just, at 23 and 30, at the time of recording, I don't think you can justify saying we build around this core because this core will take us where we want to go. I think you have to look to, I guess, shake things up in some form or fashion, which they're in a current position of power to take a step back. And because... The NBA loves the Raptors individually. Their guys have a lot of yeah. value. Um, the players are vaunted. You know, if if you're trading for Fred, you're getting now that he's finally he's he's back on track, a really great shooter, a lead guard, a an NBA champion. If it's for OG, everybody knows how highly he's valued. Gary Trent Jr. is the second leading scorer. I guess Fred probably just passed him. Third leading scorer, he scores like 18 and a half points per game. He's a professional scorer. He would fit on a numerous amounts of contenders around the league. It's like these guys are valued and wanted. So we'll see. Is there someone in the NBA that has also been in trade rumors like a DeAndre Ayton or or Bogdanovich or someone like that that you would like to see on the Raptors? Hmm. I didn't throw that in the thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's okay. <laughs> that was yeah. not in my rundown today. This is the benefit. Of I watch too much basketball. I pay too much attention to it. You could ask me anything. You, whatever you ask me today on the Google Doc, whatever it is, right? It, <laughs> I didn't. We need no preparation. You could ask me anything about basketball. We'll go all day and night till the cows come home, as it were. Uh, DeAndre Ayton. I know Raptors fans don't like him, and Raptors fans also don't like Carl Anthony Towns. And it's because you've seen the Raptors at a smaller stature defend these bigger guys and nothing frustrates fans 
more than seeing a big guy not absolutely mash a smaller guy and go dunk it. <laughs> Basketball fans love like the barbecue chicken, Shaquille O'Neal, like that whole deal. Like wow, they, they run love... that back, do that again. No, they they <laughs> they love it. You know, they love seeing a guy do that. And that's partially why Scotty's so popular, right? It's like there's a six foot five guy guard Scotty, and Scott and Scotty will just like body him under the rim and dunk on him. It's great. But DeAndre Ayton doesn't do that. So it makes fans very like, I guess, averse to having him. The Raptors pursued Ayton. They tried to like they poked around on a trade. How do we get him in house? I think Aiden would be a cool player to have on the Raptors. I don't you know. Saw, what... You saw that little clip that went viral of Masai and whoever the president of the Suns is. And they James went. Jones. Yeah. And they went to like the back. And then all these fans were like waving at Masai. I was like, damn, and this guy's so popular. He's got fans in Phoenix. He's, he's popular. Right. Like they weren't even waving at their own team president, they were shouting at Masai. Masai. Like, isn't that really powerful? I was like, I can't believe more people aren't commenting just on his popularity. He he's clouded up, man. He he orchestrated the Kawhi Leonard trade while he was with Barack Obama. I know people talk about that, like it's like a funny <laughs> meme, but it's you know it's actually pretty crazy. You know, it's like <laughs> it doesn't get for his position. Yeah, I know it doesn't get bigger than that. It's yeah. true. It's like, true. Like Danny Ainge and Masai Jerry have the same job for all intents and purposes. But everybody just thinks Danny Ainge is a nerd. And he played in the NBA. But Masai is like this cool guy. Yeah, but he's also like a Mormon and stuff, which makes him. Is Danny a Mormon? I believe so. I could be wrong. That's why he went to Utah? I that's okay. That's what I heard. But that could actually very well not be true. And I just believed it. (laughs) This is. So you got to Google that. I just I just he also just has Mormon energy. So even if he's so even if he's not a Mormon, he just has Mormon energy. Are you a Mormon, Samson? No, I. You I put your hand. You put your hand up like you're about to announce what? that you I have are a qu- Mormon. I'm. I'm yeah. not a Mormon. I'm a uh, vegan. And so the <laughs> thing is, I was going to ask you who who else has Mormon energy in the NBA? If that's like a discernible thing for you. Oh, I don't know. I don't does, know. Does Walker Kessler have Mormon energy? Uh, Kelly Olynyk, maybe. Oh man. <laughs> Kelly Olenek, you know what you know what energy Kelly Olenek has? So where I'm from, there's like a ring of... Mormon uh, town, go on. Yeah, yeah, Mormon town. Most people pronounce it Mormonton, but that's fine. And <laughs> so Kelly Olenek wears a snapback all the time and like wears Jordans. And in Saskatchewan where I grew up, the big sneaker resellers, and you shouldn't resell sneakers, by the way, people, the big sneaker resellers are all like youth pastors. For some reason, they're Whoa. like, I love God, my wife, I married at 19, and I love Jordan brand sneakers. And Kelly Olenek aesthetically fits the mold. So not Mormon, but like youth pastor sneaker reseller, Kelly Olenek has the look. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I called that right. Yep. Um, we're off. We're off track here a bit. <laughs> but uh, so you would so you would be curious to see DeAndre Ayton and or Carl Anthony Towns on the Raptors is what oh, you're saying. Carl Anthony Towns. Oh my days. Yes. I adore Carl Anthony Towns. I know I know Raptors fans do not. I do. And you know what? Here's the thing. I roster building, the you step away, it's macro. You look at how the Raptors are building relative to the league, what trends dominate the league. If the Raptors, if they go short-sighted. And they just are like, hey, we're going to give up future as- assets for a good player. I'm like, that doesn't make that much sense to me. But hell yeah, because I like watching good players play basketball. If they do that, hell yeah. And you know who's good? DeAndre Ayton. So, sure. Yaka Pirtle's good too. Yeah. <laughs> my, only <laughs> my only hesitation with Ayton is I don't understand the root of this personality conflict on the Suns. Right. Because that's the only reason why they would even consider trading him is because there's bad personality fits. And like Monty Williams, by all accounts, is like a highly regarded, well-liked coach. So I don't know what it is about him that isn't fitting in with that team. That is my only concern. He's Mormon. (laughs) But I didn't get Mormon energy. No, 
No. But is he vegan? Probably not. Otherwise, Chris Paul would be like, DeAndre has to stay on the Suns until I leave. Yeah. Because that's like Chris Paul's whole shtick. Is he's yeah, like, he's, he's older relative to the Is NBA. that what inspired you to be vegan? Sure. Are you vegan? No. No. Okay, cool. So, um, okay. I Carl Anthony Towns. He okay, I don't know if he belongs on the Raptors, but he does need to be moved. He has been on that team for too long. He has been losing for too long. Like that's just a personal opinion and belief of my 49 minutes into this podcast. Like, I just think when you are on a losing team for too many years, it is a detriment to the rest of your career because you haven't learned how to win. You don't know what it means to be deep into a playoff run. And when you're like, I mean, was he drafted 10 years ago, maybe nine years ago? Uh, 2015. Oh, okay. So fewer. So it's been eight years, but no, nine years. No, eight years. Anyway, I can't do math right now. It'll, but... be, it'll be eight years in July. Okay, or still too long. Still too long. My point still stands. Yeah. That is too many seasons, too much time to not have gone deep into the playoffs at least once. And I think for that reason alone, you got to move on. You need to be in a different culture to learn new things. This is kind of like how children who come from uh, wealthy homes – are much better at asking for better pay in the jobs that they go after. And um, it's because you come from a certain level of like, hey, this is how much is supposed to be made. This is what allows you to live a certain level of life. And this is what you're worth because you are you were always treated as if you had more value, et cetera. Yeah. And um, I think that there's like, it's analogous in the NBA is like, you once you understand the baseline for winning, it's easier to ratchet that up. But if you don't understand the baseline for winning and you've never had it for long, then you don't understand, or maybe it's tougher to enact all the qualities for 48 minutes a game, 82 games a season during the playoffs that are necessary, all the little intangible things that um, older players constantly talk about in the NBA. There's there's currently like a, a big trend of older players being eked out of the NBA for young sexy talent right and so they're saying well a lot of these guys aren't picking up intangibles that kind of push teams through games and allow you to win like hey there's a three minute stretch here a guy like Kyle Lowry knows how to win that three minute stretch even if he's not as talented as a guy as Kevin Porter Jr. for example who is has all the talent in the world and all this kind of stuff but um, doesn't know how to kind of orchestrate a three minute stretch at the end of the third quarter or something like that. And, um, you know, winning players, winning teams do do that stuff. Unfortunately, the Raptors aren't one of those teams. They go. Doesn't that stink? I hate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who knows uh, what team we'll be covering literally uh, a week from now. But um, Samson, that brings us to our Nick Nurse hottie highlight of the week. This is easily your least favorite segment on any podcast ever, I'm convinced. But you're here for, well, I mean, the, th- the thing is, is that the hottie highlight actually works in your favor because the thing that made Nick stand out this week is now suddenly there's a lot of contract talk around him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shams, Sharania really started it. And, uh, you know, he kind of put it on the national spotlight that Nick might be uh, on the hot seat, not the hottie highlight seat, but the hot seat. Samson, where do you stand? So I think that Nick is catching some flack for the way that the roster is built that he doesn't deserve necessarily. I think that Nick coached to a style that benefited at least for a season, a couple seasons actually, because despite the roster makeup, the Raptors played a very similar style of defense, even in 2019-20, even to some degree in their championship season. They've, they've always been very aggressive under Nick Nurse. Um, they've gotten a little bit more, I guess, campy in, uh, as far as, <laughs> <laughs> as, far as um, since they went 6-9, Vision 6-9. And so he catches some flack for the limitations of the roster. But also, the interpersonal stuff is where Nick Nurse, I think, has a... There's a chance that he will wear out his welcome. Larry Bird had that famous comment about how... And a coach has three years, then you lose the locker room if it's not good, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And Nick Nurse is hard on players, famously, um, by his own admittance and by, you know, reporting around it. And guys don't want somebody to bust your ass for years. And also when you add in that the Raptors play the hardest to – they play the hardest scheme in the NBA. They play the most minutes. They travel the most miles, you know, the tracking cameras in every single stadium. They back this up. They they are asked to do a lot, and their coach is hard on them, and their coach will also call them out in media. This is a guy relative to a lot of other coaches in the NBA who is going harder in that interpersonal aspect than some other coaches will. And if part of the locker room fracture or part of the distaste players have reportedly is linked to Nick Nurse, then it makes sense that he would be on the hot seat, not necessarily for his lack of ingenuity on the offensive end, but more so that he is uniquely capable of alienating players relative to other coaches in the NBA or than most coaches in the NBA. And if you have a coach who's going to do that, it is going to be something that you consider like, Maybe he's not the coach of the future if we're going to keep running into these interpersonal problems. Because as you said, Monty Williams, for example, you wanted to look at, well, what's DeAndre Ayton think? Because we know Monty Williams is a a player's coach. Nick Nurse is not a player's coach, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I think like, again, as a bigger basketball mind than me, you can say something to this. Again, anyway, I... The thing that I really miss about Nick Nurse is how creative he used to be, right? Like when he came, you know, onto the scene in that championship season, he was praised for how crafty he was and how quick he was able to adjust and do different things that we hadn't seen in the past. You know what I mean? Like decisions like putting Kawhi on Giannis or, you know what I mean? Like different things like that, the box and one, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I feel like over the years, he's actually become increasingly more stubborn and he's lost that, I don't know, the je ne sais quoi, like that little bit of Zaz, that, that thing that just was like, you know what, let's just try this and see what happens. And I don't know where that went. Yeah. I think some of that is the roster not being as diverse because as you said, like the strings, the levers he pulled on the way to the championship, really clever. And Fred Van Vliet against the 76ers, the mm-hmm. first time they played them, not last season, was having a horrible He was one of their most important players during the regular season. He was having a horrible series. So Fred's out of the rotation. Serge Ibaka starts playing heavier minutes. They start playing this jumbo lineup. Great decision for them. Halfway through the Bucs series, Fred re-enters, gets a ton of minutes, then plays the rest of the playoffs, and it's a big deal. Um, What he, and, you know, is even as far as, like, having... Marcus all blitz and hedge really aggressively at the point of attack against Steph Curry. Maybe most coaches wouldn't ask a guy of Mark's size to do it. And Mark said like, yes, I'll do that. I'll try. And it worked. These are great. You know, the box and the one he doesn't have as much uh, versatility on the roster to pull levers anymore. But then mm-hmm. you look at the offensive side of the ball and it's completely rote and contrived and there's not a lot going on there. And some of that is players not, committing to set action. Some of that is players not being as involved as they should be or running stuff with conviction. But some of it is, I think, kind of just sitting on hands by the coaching staff. So it's tough, but I think coaches can't coach in one place for forever. And if and if they do, you see roster turnover. And they have to be like extremely, extremely aligned with their star players. And if there's one thing we know is that Nick Nurse isn't extremely aligned with his star players. Not like yeah. Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan, et cetera. Yeah, because I really thought we were entering into an era where we might have like a Popovich or a Spolstra on our hands. You yeah. know? And now this season has made it clear that we're very much not 
there. And I don't think, I mean, I look, like, I love Nick nurse. I will have this hottie highlight of the week segment as long as he's on this team, but I'm not blind, you know? And I do think that, you know, he's not a development coach. Let's say that that's a very bold statement, almost an hour in, and I'm attempting to wrap up. And then I did the complete opposite of that, but you know, maybe he just isn't a development coach. Maybe so he just we, needs to have that roster, like you said, where he can pull those levers. He he did, man. He did a fantastic job his first season, right? Like the well, Kyle, having Kyle Lowry. Although helped. he was an assistant coach under Dwayne Casey, where we had a th- astonishing development. So, like, I don't know. What do I know? I think um, coaches at the high level. I, I I don't know why the conversation kind of leans that way, but the the head coach of a team is responsible for finding lineups that work and all this kind of stuff. And, but the development coaches and all the many people below that um, personal development coaches, personal trainers, um, people who work on like players health, you know, maximizing their own athletic capabilities. There's massive teams that work on all this kind of stuff. Those people are significantly more important to development than a guy like Spolstra, um, Popovich, Popovich, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nick Nurse, Rick Carlisle, whoever, right? Coaches. Coaches can't sit down and develop players. They just have too much on their plate outside of that. And players are wholesale mostly responsible for their own development. It's good that they have guidance and people. But Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, their indomitable will, the both of them, to improve and get better, and their outlying traits and talents – latent abilities is what made people think that the Raptors development system was what it was when in reality it's mostly Fred and Pascal and when players do develop it's easy to look at the team and say they did that but in most cases it's it's the guys it's the guys who do it and so it's more so that they have to try and draft guys like Pascal and Fred rather than it is that they have to coach up guys like Malachi Flynn for example even though right. he, he's had a tough go of things. I feel bad for Malachi. But. Well, I think that is, um, you know, dispelling something that a lot of Raptors fans believed, but also I think we're led to believe um, by the organization at large. So I don't think it's any one person's fault that they felt that that's how it works. They propagandize. They, oh, they, 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 they did. Propaganda. They propaganded yeah. us for sure. Yeah. Um, Okay, Samson, I feel like we could we could keep going on and on, but we should probably wrap it up here. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's always fun having you on the show. Hey, I, you know, I loved it myself. It's always good to chop it up with you. A similar sized basketball mind, Catherine. So thank you for having me <laughs> and indulging my stupid little quips and, and stories, you know. Well, I'll see you next week at this live show, uh, which is sold out. So everyone, thank you so much for getting your tickets. We're all really excited to see you. Um, I hope some people are there to see me. I know everyone's going to be there to see Samson, who's hosting. Uh, but I'll be on a on a on a baby panel with uh, Sean Woodley and Katie Heindel. So I'm really excited for that. You guys and, are kicking it off. Baby panel. Huh? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you, <laughs> I only yeah, yeah, just yeah. found that out. Uh, okay, so I'll be kicking it off, and then do you know? Like, is it going to be uh, released on the on the Rapcast? Are we recording know. it? I don't see. Everybody thinks I'm like this big part of Raptors Republic. I'm a I'm a foot soldier. I'm a no, laborer. you're not. I have no Stop idea it. what's happening. Stop it. They said, "Hey, you want to talk at this thing?" I said, sure, I'll, I'll talk anywhere, you know? And then they told me it was this thing. They're like, you're hosting it. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. And they said, like, uh, Catherine Neiker is there. And I was like, oh, well, that's great then. I'm sure a lot of people will show up. <laughs> and and so that's that's kind of all I know about the situation. Yeah. All I know is I'm there to talk. Well, I was about. asked to do 10 minutes of stand-up, and I don't know if I'm actually going to agree to that or not. And then uh, – Although I am performing all this weekend at Comedy Bar Danforth, if anyone's interested. I'm going to be there the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So feel free to come check that out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels weird to do stand up and then just to sit down and talk about Raptors for an hour and a half after. You know what I mean? I think it rocks. I think it rocks. So I think it would be so 
good. Although I won't tell the audience what I told you, the advice I gave you, instead of doing the 10 minutes at the start, you should do the other thing. I think you should do that. <laughs> that would be way funnier. You know, you, you always add like a, you can bake in a layer that makes it funnier. It's, it can't just be like, Hey, I'm doing stand up. I'm trying to be funny. It's like, it's a stand up within an already existing bit. So it's like, you know, it's the hat on the hat as it were. Yeah. I like we just start talking basketball and then I grab the mic and I just segue into stand up mm-hmm. comedy and no start one Start talking about your, your Let's, wife, right? My, my wife. wife. Oh, can you believe it? You know, you start doing like classic nineties stand up. It'd be funny. <laughs> airplane food yeah you know all that kind of stuff is that what you love classic 90s stand-up is that your genre of comedy i abhor it actually really not a fan (laughs) who's hey who's your wait if i ask you who your favorite stand-up is would you be like is that bad in your line of work no if who's your like famous person no among your friends pick three no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pick between my friends. Uh, famous people. My favorite is uh, Chelsea Peretti. Uh, she She's plays Gina funny. on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, she was really kind of like my sort of early gateway into into all of this. So she holds a, a special place in my heart. Mm. She's my I number th- one. I think I think my favorite. I saw a guy named Mark Norman. My brother showed, showed him to me. Mm. I found him to be quite funny. I think Bo Burnham is my favorite I know he's not. I know he's not like classic stand up. I know he's he's a mix of quite a few different things. But I saw him in concert when I was quite young, mm. and uh, it, it was a seminal moment in my life. I was like, oh. See, I saw Chelsea live, and then that what that's what made the impression on me. She opened for um, Aziz Ansari. Oh. This is like you know a while ago, yeah. and because they were both, she was a writer on Parks and Rec at the time, and uh, she opened for him. And I was like, I need to know who this girl <laughs> is. It's and cool then I've been following her career since. When you see somebody live, you immediately become a fan. And I can't wait until we're that for the people who come to the show. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> no, that's not realistic. I'm just that's kidding. so sweet, though. <laughs> Could you imagine somebody's like, yeah, they talked about basketball and I was just smitten. I needed to know everything about them. But that's literally how it goes. That's why you have followers, Samson. Oh, God, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, I have followers so people know. How many uh, times Scotty Barnes scored on an isolation um, when he used like the Smitty move? You know, no, literally, you're posting your fits like every game that you go to. Like you're doing, you know, they are cool fits. So people are definitely following you for you. Well, I don't. I reject all sorts. Okay, of we're just gonna make you. You were just gonna make you blush at the end of this. Here, that was the only goal. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, yeah, well, uh, if you're seeing us uh, next week on Tuesday the seventh, uh, we'll see you there, and we'll we'll probably hang out after. If you have any uh, questions for us, uh, thanks again, and we'll. Uh, <laughs> Samson looks so uncomfortable. And we'll chat soon. Okay, bye.